when a writer who comes on the main show agrees to come back and do one of these silly little character episodes with me. I am so thankful to have the incredible Erica Schultz back with me. How are you, Erica? I'm I'm well, and thank you very much for having me back. Usually, I have to like beg to get back on uh, podcasts, but you know, you offered, so oh my fair word! Warning. Well, careful what you wish for, because I will ask. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I have ensemble casts for our main episodes and I do trials. There's all sorts of places. If you're having fun, we would be happy to have you again. Uh, Erica was on the main show. We had a lovely, wonderful time talking about Jean Grey and the Phoenix Force in the Hidden Years uh, and ragging on Crystal. Uh, Erica is the writer of Hallow's Eve and X23 and upcoming several different projects at Marvel. Uh, I think you're fantastic and I am so happy to see you here with me today. Uh, how's life in New York today? Uh, you know, uh, the sun is sort of shining. And, uh, you know, just trying to keep up with scripts and uh, and deadlines. And I'll be at London Film and Comic-Con uh, in a week or two. So when this jumps on Patreon, uh, I will have already been at the show. So I'm just trying to, you know, tie up all the loose ends before I go. I want to go. <laughs> you want to fit my suitcase? Why not? No, I mean, I could buy my own ticket. I just can't take time <laughs> away from my children for trips like that very often. <laughs> I do I have a couple you. cons planned later this year, which I'm very excited about. But uh, sometimes just a change of scenery is a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm going to be on deadline. So I was telling my husband not 20 minutes ago, I said, what's going to happen is I'm, I'm just going to be sitting in a cafe writing, but I'll be sitting in a cafe writing in London instead of sitting in a cafe writing on the East Coast. So pre-COVID, I used to take trips by myself about three times a year and I would just write. That's all I would do. Uh, I, my last graphic novel script I did earlier this year, I went to San Antonio, Texas, and I sat in coffee shops for about seven hours a day. And then I walked and then I wrote some more. It was a great time. I love it. Do you know about the Amtrak uh, writer in residence thing? Mm -mm. So they have this, you have to apply for it. And I always get rejected, but basically you get on a train in like New York and you take the train all the way to the Pacific Northwest and then you get on the train and you take it all the way back and you just write and see scenery and all kinds of stuff. That sounds both nauseating and amazing. <laughs> well, if you're somebody who doesn't get motion sick, then. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise where you like get off and then I like feel like I'm still wobbling with the boat for a week afterward. I feel like the train would do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I I've never been on a cruise, but I've been on ferries and, and I'm usually very good with ferries uh, and I usually don't get seasick, but we were coming back from our honeymoon. We, we were in Block Island in Rhode Island and we were taking the ferry back from uh, and it was just I don't know what it was, rough waters or whatever, but it was just like me and my bottle of water and my box of graham crackers. And I'm just like, yum, yum. For for almost two hours, I'm just like, wow, this sucks. I've only been on a handful. Ha of happy cruises. honeymoon. Yeah, I've been on a handful of cruises uh, where you're on the boat for like a week or two. You know what I mean? Like it's a long time. So by the time you get back on the land, your entire inner metabolism has like completely shifted to like motion. So getting back on land, you're like, oh geez, everything's moving, but it's not. It's a it's a terrible feeling. <laughs> it's like feeling. Well, I mean, does it? I mean, when you were when you're drunk, you can put your they always say, like, if you're lying in bed and you're where the room is spinning, put your foot on the ground. 
Like you can't really do that if you're no, walking and the it doesn't world work because is... it's like your blood that's still moving back and forth, but the world is the so same. Weird. Yeah, I hate it so much. <laughs> it's one of my least favorite sensations in the world. Don't go uh, on cruises. <laughs> when I reached out to Erica, uh, I, I like to let my uh, guests often choose the character we're going to focus on. I tossed Kimura your way because you are currently writing Kimura. I uh, I love a good villain, and we're getting to get into the Kimura of it all and the X23 of it all. Uh, and Kimura is a terrible person. She's just this awful, awful person. But I'm gonna hideous. I'm gonna launch into this immediately. I kind of read her a little bit comedically uh, as I was doing her read through again. She's doing all of these awful, horrible things, and she just thinks she's so tough. But the story becomes almost about how does Laura get out of this unbeatable thing? So she like drops a wall on her or like dumps her in the ocean. And she's like, no, I'll get you. Like every time it's like Team Rocket from Pokemon being blasted <laughs> off into the sky. We'll be back. Uh, so there, I, I was almost reading Kimura as a comedy. Uh, you know, I mean, she leaves bodies wherever she goes to. So that's not funny. But but she's a, she's kind of a hilarious character. Uh, let's jump into your introduction to this character, if you would. How did you become acquainted with Kimura? Um, through the, uh, I want to say it was the 2012 run of X-23, where um, Laura uh, breaks out of, or maybe the 2008, um, where Laura breaks out of the facility and uh, Kimura is going after her. Um, and uh, Kimura has the trigger scent which is basically this horrible thing that uh, if you spray the trigger scent on someone or something, Laura will attack and she has no way of getting out of that. Um, I do believe later on Emma Frost removes that psychological uh, link uh, with Laura. I feel like it was Jean Grey, but I might be wrong. We'll, we'll go back and revisit. One, one of the telepaths, one of the telepaths. Um, we'll, we'll remove that link, but, but this is like the worst thing that Laura, can happen to Laura and Kimura basically puts the trigger scent on, um, the sister of Sarah Kinney, who was the doctor who, uh, basically created Laura and, uh, Sarah Kinney's niece. And it was just, uh, I believe her name was Megan. And it was just this horrible thing of like yeah. Laura literally like massacring the only family she ever had. So let's talk about X23 for a minute, who is a character you're intimately familiar with now, yes. having started a portion of her existence. Uh, first of all, Marvel has this hilarious thing where they will create these super evil organizations and call them things like the facility or the corporation, or there's even a group called they at one point. Like it's just these, it's these terrible names. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them out there. The Laura's origins are tied to this evil organization called the facility, which yes. is a little bit aim like the advanced idea mechanics group. It's a little bit genotech like they are experimenting with the DNA of Wolverine and doing their best to create a viable clone of him that they yes. can control and use to sell to high bidders as an assassin. And Laura, I'm oversimplifying, but is their 23rd attempt, basically. And she's yes. created in this awful place and is a female clone of Wolverine. Uh, so she's a unique person with a unique upbringing. We just did a conversation on this show about clones, how the idea is you could create an exact double of me right now 
but we would become different people because we have different life experiences moving forward, even though we start from the same place. And Laura has a full childhood in this place. Her entire brain is wired in this place. And her powers work a little differently than Wolverine's. Uh, do you want to talk about the inception of Laura Kinney a little bit? Um, so you're very right in saying that the facility is is like uh, AIM. It's like Hydra Science Division kind of thing. Um, it is very, uh, you know, twirling mustaches for, uh, uh, for profit. And uh, so basically there the facility has been trying to get the ultimate weapon uh, in order to sell to, you know, different countries, different uh, uh, black markets, whatever, uh, as, as an assassin. And basically, they continually fail. So the head of the facility brings in this new doctor named Dr. Kinney, Sarah Kinney. And Dr. Kinney has uh, basically, she has a new approach, a new idea. And there's some, uh, she goes to loggerheads with the, uh, the doctor who has been trying and failing, you know, 20 odd times. And what they've learned through this cloning process is that at the, the time when the Y chromosome is introduced to turn the, uh, the embryo male um, or, or the fetus at that point to turn the fetus male, that's when these clones start to fail. So what Sarah, Dr. Sarah Kinney does is she does not introduce the Y chromosome and she allows the fetus to continue as a, uh, as a female. And when Laura, when Laura gets to a point of viability, then this other doctor decides that he's going to be this cruel piece of shit. And he says, well, Dr. Kinney, now you have to bring her to term. So Dr. Kinney is um, implanted with Laura and then has to, and gets pregnant and has to bring Laura to term. Her literal surrogate mother. Yes. Her literal surrogate mother. And the idea is, he wants Sarah Kinney to suffer. And, you know, that's basically because, I mean, there whether she cared about the Laura or not, she basically is has this rush of hormones and is going to feel some connection to her because she has carried Laura. So Laura is uh, extracted. It wasn't like she birthed Laura. Laura was literally extracted from her. Um, and from that moment, she was never, Laura was never given, um, kindness. She was never given any, uh, any soft hands or touch or hugs or anything like that. And it's, it is really very, it is like the ultimate nature versus nurture kind of thing because her environment is stark. It is it is very stark not tony stark her environment is is in terms of like i have to i have to remember the words that i'm using her environment is uh she doesn't have like caretakers she doesn't have someone to wipe her tears you know she doesn't have someone to gently hold her and feed her um it's just here 
you exist. And from the moment you took your first breath, you are going to exist for our singular purpose. And that singular purpose is to make you a killer, to give you no empathy, to give you no social interactions, uh, nothing. And when Laura, I believe, is seven is when they send her on her first. She goes through the uh, the adamantium process, I believe, when she's five or six. And they don't do the adamantium on her entire skeleton. They do it on her hands and her feet. So she has three claws like Wolverine, but she has two in her hands and she has one in her foot. Right. And uh, she... She goes through the process, and after she heals from the process, because she does have Wolverine's healing factor, she is then set loose at the age of seven uh, as an assassin, which is pretty fucked up. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of characters tied into this facility arc. To give a quick, and this is not an X23 episode, but X23 is one of those many characters that I'm very excited to get to on the show because she's a rich, complex, incredible character. Laura is an assassin. She is someone who is abused and trained and cultivated into having no compassion, into doing as she's told. When she doesn't, they use this trigger scent to make her act in line. But... Sarah Kenny, her mother, who she's not related to by blood, shows her a lot of kindness secretly. She yeah. reads her Pinocchio. Now, Laura was originally uh, created by Craig Kyle for the show X-Men Evolution. He then brought her into the Marvel Universe uh, with the series. Which it first happened with the series Nyx, which is a problematic series. Uh, we'll talk about that yeah. more another time. But there's there's prostitution and, and self-abuse and some other issues that are uncomfortable. And this is referenced in your work, I know. Yeah. Uh, and then they bring her into Uncanny X-Men 450, where she is uh, tossed with the team in the Savage Land. And there's a lot of stuff going on. Eventually, she gets very fleshed out, and they launched the first volume of X23, which is a Craig Kyle, Chris Yost story, uh, and that was so popular, they followed that up with another X23 Limited. She has had three or four different original titles now. She goes by Wolverine in the current comics, and she has clones of her uh, who are also running around. There's an old lady version and a little girl version, and they're all kind of pretty great characters. But uh, one of the things that is a mainstay in her childhood is there's a lot of people who are very cruel. And it's they bring in this really awful person named Kimura to be her handler. And Kimura thinks of Laura as a, oh, I don't know, a, an animal, a, a, a beast of burden, a, a robot almost, something that's meant to be manipulated and pushed into completing the mission. And Kimura sees that as her job primarily. So I see I see us as primarily having two versions of Kimura, and we'll talk about her history. But one is like the very career-oriented criminal who is doing the job at all costs. And the other is the one that's seeking revenge because Laura keeps fucking up her life over and over, and now she's after her. So when you're writing Kimura, she's like reinventing herself a little bit. But she's brought in to keep this young child focused on the mission and to keep her tortured. Uh, do you want to talk to us a little bit about Kimura's powers and uh, her background? She's a, she's a, a, a beautiful character who she looks a little like Monet from a little, uh, yeah. Generation X. She's got a little bit of that. Uh, she's she's athletic and beautiful but just cruel she's just she's just a sadistic awful person she is uh kimura is out for only one person and that is herself 
and she is a mercenary. She has worked as a mercenary, as an assassin herself. And she's basically brought in to train Laura um, in terms of uh, hand-to-hand combat and fighting, but also to undo, for lack of a better term, any of the even slightest bit of kindness that, that Laura has received from, uh, from Sarah Kinney. Um, she treats Laura, like you said, like an animal. She treats Laura like she is, her singular purpose is to basically sharpen Laura into a weapon. And Kimura gets paid very well to do it. And she's happy to do it because she's getting paid. Um, she has she she has revenge against X because she calls her X. She has revenge against Laura mostly because Laura escaped on Kimura's watch, and that did not make Kimura look very good. She uh, Laura also um, has fought her and beaten her. And if Kimura has one thing about her, she's you know, for lack of a better term, she's proud of who she is. You know, she's got this good reputation, you know, almost like how Taskmaster is in the sense that, like, you know, he has this sure. reputation. Um, now, Kimura is enhanced. I do not believe that she's categorized as mutant, but she is enhanced. She can phase uh, at least part of her body, at least her hands and her arms, if not her entire body, depending on the continuity. Um, and we actually see that in uh, one of the X-23 issues where she phases her hand into uh, Laura's chest to see if Laura's ribs had been uh, uh, had been repaired from uh, from beating the hell out of her. Um, Kimura is also um, it's weird. She's got like an immunity to adamantium, but I don't really know exactly what that meant. Right. Uh, I, I even asked the editors and they're like. Well, it kind of varies. I was like, all right, we'll leave that it's, alone. It seems to me like her skin is a little Luke Cage-like in that the adamantium can't cut her. And she's strong yeah. enough and able to phase. So she's kind of like the perfect foil to Laura who can't defeat her unless she uses some sort of trick to do it, right? And Laura yeah. can beat up anybody. So it's the one person she can't beat up and the kind of the one person she's scared of in a lot of ways. Yeah, because Kimura has been there from almost the beginning. Um, Laura does have a, a fear of Kimura. And 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 I it's almost like a cruel older sister, you know, kind of thing, where like, and I talk about this in another book that I wrote for Image called Deadly's Bouquet, basically where like your hierarchy is always there no matter how old you are. Like when you go visit your siblings, the hierarchy is always there. So Kimura, every time Laura and uh, X-23 and Kimura are interacting, that hierarchy of like, I'm the evil, you know, babysitter, the evil older sister, the evil auntie, whatever is there. Um, and it, it allows, it, it makes Laura take pause. Um, because, you know, what's that, what's that phrase? You know, they... They know how to push your buttons because they're the ones who put it there. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. Kimura was the one who, um, I, I, she didn't scientifically come up with the trigger scent, but the idea of the trigger scent, uh, Kimura is the one who always treated her like an animal. And we see that with Logan a lot, this idea of like treating Logan like an animal. 
treating Laura like an animal and the berserker rage and sort of, you know, the feralness, for lack of a better term, uh, that comes through. And, and Kimura really fed into that and she got off on that. Um, and she loves the idea of control because in her own life, she had very little of it uh, growing up. And we're going to talk now, about her. We're going to talk yeah. about her background with the Emma Frost of it all. And geez, yes. <laughs> we'll get there in a second. The word Kimura, I had to look this up. I'd never heard this word before. I'm not a wrestling fan, but apparently in combat sports, the word Kimura means uh, where where an arm lock isolates the arm and torques the shoulder to cause pain or injury in an opponent. That move, that fighting move is called a Kimura, which is kind of a cool thing. We do not know this no real name. And we also do not know really where she got her powers. We're kind of led to believe it's through the facility. She has kind of a slow burn. And I'll, I'll cover this part quickly with Laura, because again, we'll do more X23 stuff in the future. But she has a lot of phases of development. And she's a character who's had a lot of rich development in her kind of brief publication history. In comparison to the other X-Men, she's only been around 20 years or so. Uh, she starts out after escaping from the facility, having kind of time as a teenage runaway slash prostitute. She's kind of pushed into the X-Men. They very much do not trust her. She's one of the students. She ends up in a relationship with Hellion. Wolverine kind of takes a dad role with her, kind of teaching her morals and how to have feelings and how to be a person. And she makes the decision at a particular point to not kill anymore. And there's only a few people that are really important to her, primarily the characters you referenced before, Megan and Debbie Kinney, who are her mother, Sarah's uh, uh, only living relatives. And uh, Laura is connected to them in a particular way. And Kimura is happy to use your weaknesses and vulnerabilities against you. So with Kimura, it's kind of a slow build for a minute as we see Laura go through some of this. Uh, she shows up kind of behind the scenes or in the shadows a little bit in X23 number six, which is where Laura's left the facility and her mom has died. And she has been sent after Laura with uh, a vial of trigger scent. Uh, we don't know where she is, but we're going to find her. And the facility has been destroyed. All the embryos have been destroyed. And one of Laura's biggest storylines in comics repeatedly is taking down places that are trying to weaponize her DNA, uh, which is something that happens over and over for this character because she's seen as the perfect assassin. We finally get our first real glimpse of Kimura in New X-Men Volume 2, number 31. This is the Academy X era. Craig Kyle's on the book, and he's brought Laura in, and things are rough. This went from kind of like a teenage innocence, like exploring mutant powers book to like M-Day happened, and now people are getting slaughtered, and buses full of students are being exploded. <laughs> like everybody's going through trauma. It went dark quick. I mean, yeah. it's good. It's, it's it's a good read. But yeah, it's like, geez, <laughs> it's like watching your favorite like teenage show. But now everybody's getting blown up repeatedly. It's uh, it's maybe one of the more traumatic eras of the X-Men. These these Ep Academy X kids go through some really rough shit. There's the purifiers and Nimrod and people blowing up. And Adam Harkins, who is the inheritor of the facility, his dad was Xander Harkins, is back and he's brought Kimura with him. And we finally get a good look at her. She's a black and burgundy and white costume. She's got a boob window, which we love. She's got guns and blades. She's got uh, a chin strap. Yep, yep. And she mentions in her very first appearance how she's handled one of the most lethal mutants on the planet and she is ready for action. We see her explored through this series for a few issues. Uh, they have captured Mamamax, who is the elephant guy we talked about with Chuck Austin on my show a couple of times. 
they are building something called Predator X, which is a giant mutant monster science creation. And they need the mutant Mercury in order to do that. Are you familiar with Mercury, Erica? Uh, the mutant vaguely. Yes. I, I know I know Mercury's relation with Laura sure. in the in the storyline. Yeah, Mercury is Cecily Kincaid, who is a queer mutant. Uh, I believe she's portrayed as bisexual. She's basically living metal, who can shape herself. And they uh, Laura thinks that Kimura's after her, but she's really after Cecily because they need Cecily's mutant DNA to finish this Predator X creature. And they make multiple versions of these creatures. So uh, when we first meet Kimura, she's part of this thing. The facility's back online and creating these awful Predator X beasts. Uh, do you have comments on this story before we get to the Emma of it all? Where <laughs> that's, that's where we got to spend a few minutes. Um, I think that Kimura really, I mean, this really shows that, you know, as much as nothing can phase Laura except Kimura, nothing can phase Kimura except Laura. Like, Kimura can can sort of, you know, be anybody she needs to be. But when Laura Kinney shows up, it that is the singular focus. And it's the same with Laura. You know, Laura can do whatever she needs to do. But if Kimura is there, there's that moment where you take pause because this is somebody who really has been in your head before. Um, so and two it's like are... bumping into your old friend from like 30 years ago. And then you see them and you're like, oh, shit, I hope they don't spill the beans. <laughs> or or even worse, bumping into your abuser, right? Like, yeah. that's a rough thing. There's two things about Kimura that stand out right away. Well, three, she's very confident. She has like zero self-doubt about anything ever. You, you knock her down and she's like, fuck you, I'm coming after you, right? Like, there's never a moment of self-recrimination. But we, number two, she has a sadistic and cruel streak. She uses words like clone and X to dehumanize Laura very consistently across all of this. And number three, let me just give you one snapshot from New X-Men 3435. She's sitting and eating noodles while Mamamax is murdered and literally the living skin is stripped off of Mer Mercury's flesh. And Kimura is like eating some noodles and hanging out at the side, like while these teenage children are being killed and tortured. Uh, so that kind of tells you all you need to know. Once she, she does not care about her targets. Once she identifies what's important to the person she's victimizing, that's what she'll go after. So for Laura, that's Hellion. And then that's uh, the Kinney family. And she'll go after them again and again and again. Uh, she attacks the team. She uses Sonics to uh, overwhelm Hellion's telekinetics. Uh, Hellion tries, well, Laura tells Hellion to kill her, like put a telekinetic bubble inside her and blow her up. <laughs> but instead he doesn't want to, he sends her flying miles away. She's aiming a sniper rifle at Laura when Emma Frost tracks her down. And this is an infamous scene in uh, X-Men. It's one of the meanest, but also you totally get it, things that, uh, that Emma Frost has ever done. Yeah, so uh, there's a scene where Emma finds Kimura leveling a sniper rifle at, at Laura. And Emma quickly does a scan of Kimura's mind and very quickly finds out who this person is. Uh, do you, are, well, first of all, are you an Emma Frost fan? I, I hate Emma Frost. I absolutely loathe her. And I know that the last podcast I was on, I was almost kicked off because of saying that. Um, <laughs> but I, I have, a, I have a, a specific reason why. I hate Emma Frost because when I was working at a studio, I was doing the lip sync animation for the Astonishing X-Men motion comic. And I would have to lip sync the animation to Emma Frost's 
uh, voice. So I was constantly listening to the same, you know, sardonic, pedantic monologues over and over and over again. And I'm just like, I want to kill her. So yes. Uh, will you read what Emma says to Kimura as she scans her mind? Do you ever wonder why you take such pleasure from abusing a little girl who cannot hurt you, let alone defeat you? No, I thought not. You'll notice that you cannot move. I've shut down all your motor control so that you can listen while I enlighten you. You are a bully, plain and simple, a product of your past, being kicked around your whole life by an alcoholic father and an uncaring mother at home, only to find the same waiting for you from your peers in the schoolyard, day in and day out. You were born into a life you do not deserve, a life no child deserves. Someone needs to fill the role of victim and you played that part for so many. Until your grandmother came to your rescue. She called you her sweet child. She did everything she could do to undo the damage that everyone else had done. But sadly, she came too late. All the hope and the good that you held on to was beaten out of you so long ago. After your grandmother's heart attack, you found your way to the facility, to the men that could give you what you wanted so badly, revenge, a hollow prize, but one you begged for, and once you'd gotten the best of those who wronged you, you became the very person you hated and feared growing up. And X-23 played the role of your victim. Like you, Laura didn't deserve that horrible life. No child does, remember? But you didn't care. Even though you knew all too well the pain she suffered, you enjoyed inflicting it. You still enjoy it. That's why you're a bully. And Kimura says, why are you telling me this? Because today you go back to being the victim. It's a shame the people that perfected your body didn't do enough to safeguard your mind. Memories are quite amazing. Did you know that no two are the same? For example, some are woven through the mind and buried deep inside a person's psyche. Laura's programming to the trigger scent is like this. I fear I may never be able to pull that conditioning from her. Other memories are more like stains that taint the moments around them. Pain, loss, death. They're normally the memories that poison the thoughts that surround them. And then there are those that rise above the rest. These are the thoughts that come to us when, first when we think of those who we truly hate and love, like those of your grandmother. And Kimura says, no, wait, what are you doing? You've taken those that X-23 loved from her. Now I'm returning the favor. And just like that, she's gone. What, what happened? I've taken your grandmother from you. The only person who ever showed you love and kindness. And in her place, I've left a deep void that will cause you pain for a lifetime. Now, before I let you go, I have a mission for you. Your X-23's handler. Now you will handle your masters at the facility. Every last one of them, beginning with Harkins. Goodbye, Kamara. Holy shit. <laughs> now, I want to say two things about Emma here quickly. Telepathy is really interesting. When you consider brain surgery, if they stick something into your brain to try to amend or fix, it's going to alter other parts of your brain very likely. You got to know what you're doing. 
And we hear telepathy described by uh, science fiction writers and comic books all the time in different ways. But you consider a, a fluid plastic brain with neural pathways. And for Emma to reach in and remove a memory, that sounds like something that would be easier to do than trying to change a full personality. For Emma to give someone a singular point of purpose that's easier than trying to re-alter history, right? We see Xavier in the early comics wiping minds all the time. But it's interesting to think Emma must have realized what her options were. This is also a time in comics when mutants were being targeted repeatedly. And for Emma to take this character and to turn her against the enemies of mutants rather than killing her is a rather humane option, but it's a very cruel thing to do to a character that's already very cruel. What are your thoughts on this scene? This is one of the most infamous Emma Frost and Kimora scenes. Um, I, I'm honestly, I'm torn by it because at one point I, I almost felt like death is too good for Kimora. Um, and another point, I'm just like, Emma, just give her an aneurysm, you know? Um, It'd be but, more humane to, to let her. Yeah. You know, but Emma and, and like you said, Emma weaponizes her against the the uh, offenders of mutants. So in a sense, Emma is sort of the handler at that moment of Kimura and and taking that role. But, you know, Emma, throughout her history, she's had her bouts of cruelty as well. So, I mean, this isn't out of her out of her wheelhouse. Yeah, I think uh, rehabilitating Kimura would be kind of like rehabilitating Sabretooth. The X-Men tried that a couple of times and it didn't go very well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, this is a brilliant scene. And again, it's uh, it's comic book soap opera, right? So you throw in some superpowers and you watch what happens to people. I love when writers take a toy from the toy box, even when they've created and alter them slightly and leave them ready for the next person. Uh, we see Kimura used in X23 Target X, which is a series also by Craig Kyle and Chris Yost with art by Mike Choi in uh, 2007. We get to see a lot of flashbacks about Kimura really being awful to Laura when she's very young. Uh, but I want to focus primarily on issue five here, which is the scene where in the present, Kimura is going after Laura and is doing so by targeting Megan and Debbie. Uh, who are helpless characters. She's broken into their home. She's chained them up. And she's she breaks Laura's neck to paralyze her, even though Laura will heal. And she plans to make her watch while she murders her family. Uh, she she uh, She's basically like, you know, which one do you want to choose? I'm going to put my finger through one of their skulls. You can pick which one. Like, it's, it's a particularly brutal thing to do to somebody. But X23 manages to use adamantium handcuffs to connect herself to Kimura. They fight... Uh, there's, there's this whole thing. Laura has to beg Kimura, which is something Laura would never do to anyone else. And we're going to revisit this in your series in a moment. This idea of Laura having to beg. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill uh kimura please i'll come back to the facility i'll do anything you say just please don't kill her and kimura oh, yeah go ahead 
Oh, sweetie, of course you're coming back with me and you will do exactly what I say, but your little friend here is going to die. Now, the only choice you have is brain or heart. But if you won't choose, if you won't choose how Megan dies, I will. And Megan is screaming. Kimura is pushing into her chest. Of course, you could stop her suffering. You could kill her, X. It'd be merciful compared to this. X23 ends up cutting off her own hand. And then she uses the adamantium handcuffs to to trap Kimura in the basement. And then she blows up the house, which is one of these comedy things, right? She keeps finding these ways to defeat Kimura. It's like, ah, I'll get you. It's the Team Rocket thing I mentioned earlier. But this is a uh, this is another one of those scenes where Kimura is just extraordinarily cruel. It was eating noodles and watching teenagers die, and now she's going to kill someone that Laura loves just to prove something to her. Uh, do you have comments on this issue? Um, it really shows the lengths to which Kimura will go, and not just the physical cruelty of beating the shit out of out of her, out of X twenty three, but also the. Uh, emotional and psychological cruelty, you know, of of bringing Debbie and Megan into this, and you know, two people who did show Laura kindness, um, and and in this this case, she's almost trying to do kind of what Emma did to her, you know, this idea of like removing this this kindness that was given to her, you know. Morris shows up in, and we're not going to spend time on this one, but it's a, a title called Astonishing Tales, Wolverine and Punisher. Uh, very quickly, she does have a mention where she says she had uh, spent months having her brain rewired to undo the damage Emma Frost did. We truly don't know what that means or what the implications of that are. Who knows what happens here? Uh, she's working for Viper here, Tiger Tigers in this, Wolverine and the Punisher, destroy a bunch of Predator Xs, and then, you know, that's kind of all we need. And then we're into the X-Force assassination squad. This is a this is a time when Laura has willingly joined up with a team of mutants who are hunting down very deadly threats for mutants in order to protect mutants. And Wolverine does not want her there. This is a big moment for Laura, who's acting on her own accord and kind of killing by choice for the first time. It's a big part of her character development. Uh, do you have any comments on Laura in this era? It, this, is, this is their body count in this. <laughs> this is insane. There's piles of bodies through this series. It's, I mean, there's a part of me that's like, good, Laura's finally given her own agency. But the choices that she makes are so bad, <laughs> you know? Um, and And there's a futility that Logan feels. You know, there's there's a a, a mo there's a, a time when he sort of he wants to be there for her, but he almost can't watch her go down this path because he knows it's a path that he he himself has gone down. Uh, Laura is well, she's isolated for part of this, and part of what makes this series fun is all of the key characters have stories from their origins as part of it. Uh, the very next episode on this Patreon is going to uh, talk about this series more. I'll get to that in a little while, but Warpath gets development, Archangel gets development, and it's all stuff from their past. Uh, so Kimura's brought in, and there's a woman named Agent Rice who is hunting Laura down. Uh, Kimura attacks and is going to kill them. Uh, she cuts off Laura's arms with a chainsaw. <laughs> she ends up getting free. Laura's like carrying her arms around for a while. She ends up uh, teaming up with Morales to fight Kimura. Uh, and there's there's a, a point where uh, Kimura pins Morales. Uh, do, you want to, do you want to read her little speech here? Here's just one example of her character. 
Yeah, Kimura is just, I do have to say one thing. The the thing about um, Kimura being, uh, being able to cut up Laura that doesn't happen with Wolverine because Wolverine has the adamantium across his entire skeleton. Unless, you've got, the, it, unless you've got the Muramasa blade that can hack right through it. <laughs> yeah, unless you have that. But at the same time, I mean, there's something kind of really humorous about you know, the, the idea of like Laura just running around with her, with her own arms. It's uh it's body horror comedy. And that's, you know, that's something you can get away in with. In such a weird Deadpool way. And Wolverine and x Yes. There, there is a Deadpool in, in, uh, in X-Force, there is a Deadpool scene where Archangel is dying and Deadpool's literally cutting bits of his own flesh and feeding them to, to, <laughs> Uh, Archangel to keep Gross. him alive. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> it absolutely is. Um, I don't. I don't have that on the. Oh no! Yeah, let me let me pull this up. So she she oh, pins sorry. Morales and she goes, Morales, right? I've got bad news for you, honey. You just backed the wrong horse. See, the facility has rules, and the most important rule: don't fuck with me. Which is giving me very like Joan Crawford and Mommy Dearest. <laughs> don't fuck with me, boys. <laughs> I'll push my finger right through your eye. Maybe scratch my name on your frontal lobe with my fingernail. But Laura like traps Kimura under a door, and they escape. And they end up using uh, X23, like uses her own trigger scent to go berserker in the facility and kill everyone there, which is, again, a choice she's making in this X-Force era to commit murder. Uh, Kimura escapes uh, and she ends up shooting Xander Rice in the head because he disagreed with her. So she's like, this is a moment for Kimura where she's done. She's moving past working for someone else. And now her sole focus is just going after Laura. But Laura blows up the building and uh, Kimura's like, I'll get you. <laughs> I'll get you, my pretty. And then we get Your an little era arms, of... too. <laughs> And by the way, uh, Megan and Debbie are like living in hiding at this point. Laura sent them off and is like, you know, you can't have anything to do with me. You're in danger. Uh, the next big era of Laura's history, we're fast forwarding a bit, is the Tom Taylor series. Laura is now using the name Wolverine. And there's another facility doctor, Dr. Chandler. He's This is the guy that apparently developed the trigger scent. And he's created multiple clones of Laura in an attempt to create the perfect assassin. The three that survived are named Bologna, Zelda, and Gabby. And Kimura frees them to create havoc. Zelda ends up dying. Gabby is the character, Honey Badger, later known as Scout, who's like the little girl version of Laura. And she is a beloved mainstay of the X-Men. And that leaves Bologna, who's now working for Kimura, who's going after Laura. I just threw a lot of names at you, and they all end in uh. So I hope, <laughs> I hope everyone's tracking here. Uh, but there's a scene where Laura opens up to Gabby, who's very much like her little sister. And she she's talking about how sadistic and cruel Kimura was in her childhood. And then Kimura drops trigger scent from a plane into a town and makes what we think she makes Laura kill everyone in this town. Uh, but it turns out it wasn't Laura who did it later on. It was Bologna who did it in order to, to make Laura think she'd committed murder because Laura's now like committed to not killing anyone anymore. Uh, then the character Roughhouse comes in. He's the big hairy bear guy from Wolverine that like teams up with the vampire blood scream. Uh, there's a lot of fighting. Anyway, Kimura finally ends up pinning X23. You don't seem surprised to see me. Hello, X, she says. Uh, and uh, X23 gets her dig in. She goes, everyone in the building looks afraid, sad, and desperate, Kimura. So I'm not shocked to see you here on the top floor. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Kimura slaps her across the face and says, whatever you deluded yourself into believing you were, you're not. You're a weapon and you're mine. You are always mine. I will use you. I will hurt you badly. And I will use you again. You will be what you were built to be, my little murder machine, my X23. Let's begin. And she pulls out more trigger scent. It's This goes on for a minute, but... Basically, Kimura now has plans to establish a criminal empire in Madripoor. She's taken over the police force and some gangs. I want to hear your thoughts on this, like, glow up that she's having. <laughs> um, I think she might be going a little out of her lane with all of this. Um, but I do give the creators credit for uh, trying to expand her. Um because she was under everybody's thumb between uh, Harkins and the facility and just sort of being a mercenary in general, you, you have somebody who's, who's fronting your, you, the cash to do X, Y, and Z. So, um, but I did think that this was a bit of a leap, but I really did love the all new Wolverine. Um, so I was like, Oh, all right, I'll go with it. It's comics. <laughs> Uh, anytime any villain is trying to take over Madripoor, they always don't factor in the character Tiger Tiger. I will talk about her in another episode in the future, but she's an amazing Claremont character who is like a an ally, but also like a crime boss who's just maintaining this balance in this like very corrupt society. And uh, Kimura cannot kill Tiger Tiger. So she brings an X-23 and tries to use her to kill Tiger Tiger. But the X-Men managed to cure Laura of the trigger scent. Uh, it doesn't affect her anymore. So Kimura shoots down a plane full of people <laughs> in order to try to like, get revenge. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. gets involved. Balone is there. Anyway, uh, what ends up happening if we uh, like oversimplify here is X-23, uh, excuse me, Kimura shoots Angel, the teen Angel, who's the time traveling boyfriend of Laura. Again, I don't have time to get into that continuity. <laughs> Uh, but X-23 <laughs> goes after Angel. They fight. X-23 chokes Kimura out under the water and drowns her while Laura is sobbing because she had to commit murder again. So at the end, we are led to believe that Kimura is very, very dead. Uh, I summarized all that kind of quickly because I really want to focus on Deadly Regenesis with Erica Schultz, the writer of Deadly Regenesis. But tell me some of your thoughts on this story or this ending for Kimura. Um. I think that she always has to come to an end by Laura. Like she couldn't, the worst thing in the world would be if like Kimura died in a car accident or something like that, because Laura has to feel some sense of closure. She has to feel some sense of um, that she made the decision to, yes, she's sitting at the, you know, on the, on the banks of the river crying, but she had the agency to do that. And it's, it's very much like, you know, killing the abusive husband, you know, kind of thing. Like, it's a horrible thing, but it's something that needed to be done, which is why I said, like, I think Emma should have just given her an aneurysm, but. But Emma had it right because Kimura yeah. doesn't stop. And I, I think Emma was able to read that in her character. Now, your series takes place prior to this one. Yes. Correct. Your series is back in the utopian era. So this is before Kimura is going to try to rule Madripoor as a crime boss and before Laura drowns her. 
And we're going back and, to Utopia era, Utopia era, which is the X Force Assassination Squad era. But I believe yes. your series is set just before that as well, if I'm correct. It is. If you have to put this into, if you had to sit there and put this in an actual timeline, it it takes place between like just after issue four of that uh, X twenty three uh, two thousand twelve run. Um, because it's just before Laura and <clears throat> excuse me, Laura meets up with Gambit, and then they go to Madripoor and they find Dokken, and uh, they do like a whole thing. So let me have you talk about Kimura's role in Deadly Regenesis. Oh, um, she's. I'm not going to say she's the foil or the red herring because she is a big part of it but she is sort of the big bad until the actual big bad is revealed. Um, she is still working, you know, she's the mercenary. She's working for whomever's going to pay her the highest, uh, the highest amount. She does show um, a small amount of restraint because she knows that she wants to, to keep Laura under control. And she, what she does is she basically, um, pins down Laura with the whole thing about, oh, you think you're a hero. You want to be the hero. You think you're the hero. Okay. You want to be the hero? You have to do what I say, because if you don't, everybody in this building is going to die. And when Laura talks back, someone gets shot in the face, literally. <laughs> so Laura knows that she's, that Kimura is not, she's not fucking around. She knows that she's not just joking. Well, and so. Kimura knows that Laura will do anything to protect innocent life. And Kimura is dealing in mutant growth hormone, which is yes. a drug that is extracted from the DNA of superpowered characters, generally mutants, that when you take it, it will briefly give you superpowers. And if it doesn't kill you, you want more because superpowers were great. And she has a building full of drug addicts. And in order to keep Laura uh, working for her, she's just she's like, I'll kill this person if you don't do what I say. And so she's sending Laura on a series of missions. And again, it's a little bit of a comedy because Laura keeps finding ways to not complete the mission. Like, here, I'll pretend to kill you and tell Kimura I did it. And like, uh, I got the thing, but I didn't have to kill You didn't say I had to kill the lady, but uh, Kimura's still willing to kill people to get what she wants. Uh, she's working for, do you want to reveal the big bad? <laughs> Um, a spoiler alert. So don't don't listen if uh, if, if you you've not yet read X two three Deadly Regenesis number four. With on the final page, we get the big reveal. It's Kingpin. Kingpin and Kingpin has a history with Laura. Kingpin yes. hired her services when she was younger and had her commit a series of assassinations. Yes, he did. He also uh, he had her commit. He was one of the first uh, clients of the of the facility and one of the first people that um came to the facility to hire laura to uh to be sort of unleashed and uh yeah kingpin is i mean he's the kingpin of crime he's you know the worst of the worst so now what is kingpin's role in this series um he is uh basically he is wanting to um, take out a few people. Uh, one is another uh, mob boss who thought that he could get in on some of Kingpin's territory. So uh, he says, all right, well, you know, you're just basically going to kill everybody here. 
and Laura does, but in doing so, she actually murders the brother of another character in the story, uh, Jordan, who's uh, known as Haymaker. And everyone, and, everyone Laura kills, just like everyone Kimura kills, has family and loved ones. But yes. we get to see the impact on this one particular character. Yes, there is. I mean, it seems as if there's so much collateral damage that doesn't actually get addressed. Um, that in this particular series, I I go into a deep dive of what happens when Laura, whether it's her decision or not, what happens when Laura kills somebody um, and that person has a family and that person has to then live with what has happened. Um, because Laura will, she'll feel guilt, but she'll still be in the game. Whereas this other person now has to contend with, in, in the case of Jordan, losing their sibling. So, One of the interesting parts of Kimura, and this is one of the few times, maybe the only time we've seen this in her continuity, is she actually seems to care for Haymaker a little bit. She seems to have a, a relationship of, I mean, she's clearly manipulating Haymaker. She sends Haymaker yeah. after Laura and she's working for the Kingpin, who's the man who ordered the death of Haymaker's brother, uh, which I'm assuming is going to be widely explored in issue number five, which will be released yes. shortly after we record this. Uh, but uh, but there seems to be almost a fondness on Kimura's part. Uh, it's an interesting relationship. We don't see her like this with anyone else. Jordan sees um, yeah, Jordan sees Kimura as sort of a saving grace, because after Jordan's brother, Drew, is murdered by Laura, um, Jordan feels very lost. And Kimura sort of swoops in and says, oh, wow, I've got this person who is training to be an MMA fighter and who really wants to, you know, is a good fighter, but they're a little idealistic. And they obviously have all this hurt. So let's bring them in to the fold. You know, their uh, fighting career gets derailed once the brother, uh, once Drew's murdered. So this is sort of like the the perfect, um, the perfect setup. It's, it's almost like getting a naked Barbie doll. You can dress them up however you want. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so Kimura takes Jordan and says, look, I'm running this under, I, I mean, I'm running, um, Kimura talks about how she's in the business of vice. So, you know, I'm running, I'm running this, you know, underground fight club kind of thing, good money. And, uh, you can train your skill. You can, you know, keep your skills up and we'll get you some work. And, uh, while you're, you know, while you're hanging out here, uh, maybe you hang out and do some jobs, for, you know, for me. So and, it's, it's almost an opportunity for her to manipulate someone or does she genuinely care for this person? No, she, it's, it's all to manipulate. It okay. is all to manipulate Jordan. Jordan is under the impression that Kimura does care for them. But um, it, it's it's there's a literal back and forth between Jordan and Laura and Laura says you have no idea who Kimura is Jordan's like you know what I know I know that you killed my brother and that she came in and helped me that's what I know yeah so I don't know who Kimura is well I know that you're a murderer and that Kimura helped me out and then minutes later 
Kimura's like, hey, Haymaker, come here. The, my boss is here. And it turns out to be the Kingpin. Now, I have not yet read number five, but it will be out before we release this episode. Do you want to talk about what happens to Kimura here? I um, I'm so worn to silence. <laughs> um, well, Kimura, um, Haymaker basically turns around and once they see that Kingpin is involved, um, they go ballistic and both they and Laura try to fight their way to Kingpin, but there's like sort of a, a, a bunch of uh, guards that they have to get through. And Kimura literally just turns around and was like, you know what? This is bullshit. You got to do everything yourself and shoots Laura three times in the back. Mm. And Jordan has seen Kimura and some of her antics, but Jordan has never seen Kimura straight up shoot somebody and shoot somebody in the back. Yeah. Um, there, is, there is a moment in number four, if I'm recalling, where Kimura callously murders a guard and you see you yes. see Haymaker just be like, whoa. So this is an extension of that, it sounds like. Yeah, this is an extension of that in the sense that Jordan is, is Jordan knows violence from an outsider's perspective kind of like you know if somebody somebody says they know war from playing call of duty versus talking to an actual soldier sure you know and that's kind of how jordan sees everything so haymaker knows violence from being in the ring and knows violence from seeing what happened to their brother drew but to see somebody straight up just cap somebody right in the face with a gun is just whoa what the fuck you know it's it's a level of callousness that shocks jordan because they didn't know that kimura really was this bad because all they've ever gotten from kimura is encouragement now yes it was a hundred percent manipulative but it was still encouragement on you know that was what they were receiving this is what i signed up for says hey yeah yeah yeah, this isn't what I signed up for kind of thing. And then when Laura gets shot, Haymaker finally realizes, oh, shit. Like, I I am in some shit, and I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And there is a sort of team-up where Haymaker runs to Laura's aid. And Kimura says, whoa, I didn't have this on my bingo card. Um. <laughs> You know, she literally says, plot twist, didn't have this on my bingo card. Um, and she says, oh, so you're going to take, you know, X's side right now? Well, guess what? Now you can be in a fucking cell with her. Mm. Um, and the two, Laura and Haymaker, sort of team up through a ruse. They, they're able to escape and uh, they have to split up because Laura says, look, I need you to get the MGH addicts out of here. Now, mind you, Jordan is an MGH addict themselves. Right. So Jordan is stuck with Kimura because they are under the impression that if they don't get their fix, that they're going to have an aneurysm. And that's what, what Kimura actually shows Laura, shows what happens when somebody is defiant have an aneurysm and they're basically stuck on life support and Kimura straight up murders one of these people on life support as a way of trying to control X-23 again 
Um, and it's there's a there's a level of cruelty that I was sometimes not entirely comfortable with yeah, yeah. writing. Um, but it, it served the story and it served the characters. But there were moments where I had to sort of like stop and step away from my computer and be like, okay, that was really fucked up that you just wrote. Um, take a moment. You're really not this horrible of a person, I swear. <laughs> um, but, people can write bad characters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Laura fights Kimura and is very close to killing her, but does not kill her. Uh, and then, and Kingpin, of course, gets away. Um, but as Kingpin gets away, it's this, Laura is feeling super confident and it's, you know, Kingpin's in the helicopter and the helicopter is rising off of the roof and Laura's running, you know, as fast as she can. And she leaps out and there's this, and Edgar does this fabulous scene where you just see the silhouette of the helicopter and you see the silhouette of Laura like leaping out and she's reaching out for the, the um, railing. And she says, I've got him. I've, and she and you see that she's misses and she says i've miscalculated mm. and she plummets and jordan runs to her aid and when laura stands up she is jacked up like compound fractures uh you know, half of her face is coming off of her skull and i don't think we've mentioned kimura here has like a a a potion that like cancels Laura's she, factor for for periods of time. Yeah, Kimura in order to keep Laura compliant and to make her not be able to fully heal, she has a spray that was developed at the facility that will um mute her abilities. So she will when she pops her claws, when she pulls them back, they're still bloody for a bit. And it takes her time to heal. She doesn't heal as slowly as a regular human being, but she certainly doesn't heal as fast as she normally does. Um, and you have to continue dosing her with this. And when Laura's in the cage, she, you know, Kimura hits a button and it, she gets dosed with it again. Um, and it's it's to keep her compliant. And also because I think deep down Kimura knows that at at full power, Laura is uh Laura is a uh formidable opponent and Laura could probably take him out. So it's for her own ego too, I think. What happens to uh, her in the end of this? Uh, she is not found. So, so this leads to her going on to be drowned by. <laughs> this leads to her going on to be drowned by, by, uh, by Laura. Um, and that's one of the things with writing this is that um, I always knew where the end point had to be. Um, but there is there is a moment where after Laura, it, you know, it says, you know, like 36 hours later and Laura looks perfectly fine because that uh, the dampening, the power dampener spray has worn off and she's completely healed herself. And there's this moment where she walks out of a hospital and she sees Jordan and they have a conversation about, and Jordan calls her ex and she says, please don't call me ex. That's what Kamora called me. Please yeah. call me Laura. Laura's my name. And um, 
throughout this entire journey, Laura talks about how she has to sort of heal, not physically, but sort of emotionally from her past trauma, from the things that she's done and the things that have been done to, done to her. And so she takes Jordan to a survivor's meeting. Um, and Jordan sits in this meeting and is finally able to grieve the loss of her of their brother and grieve the loss of you know their own innocence in this moment and so you know the person says hi you know i'm emily my these are my pronouns um we are here for survivors um who wants to start and laura sort of nudges jordan and jordan stands up hi i'm jordan uh they them uh i'm here because i lost my brother what a beautiful ending, Erica Schultz. Oh my goodness. I love, one of the questions I was going to ask you is what it's like to write a character like Kimura, but I think you kind of covered that to give yourself the ability to make this character sadistic and to put this story in an endpoint of healing for Laura in a time where she's, again, the assassination squad of it all. And right before she's getting ready to proclaim her life as a hero, this is a smart story to like really place this character in this transitional space uh, where when she chooses to kill Kimura later in the previous story, because, you know, continuity, uh, you can see one of the reasons she had to make that decision. I've got to kill her or she'll kill others. She'll never stop. Yeah. Uh, what's it been like for you to visit this character in this conversation? How are you feeling? Uh, I, you know, it's, it's cathartic. Wow. I feel like this is like a therapy session. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to podcasting with a therapist. <laughs> um, no, it's very cathartic. I mean, one of the things that I, when I set out to tell the story, I, I told Mark and Drew, who were the two uh, editors, Drew Baumgartner and Mark Basso, I said, I want there to be a sort of a mantra for Laura. And the mantra is, I must do what others cannot. And it was this, in, in the first issue, you see her running into a burning building. You know, I must do, I must run into the burning building to save people because I can physically take the heat and I can physically do, you know, whatever it is needs to be done. Um, and then it became, I must save Jordan from themselves. I must save myself from the overwhelming guilt and you know and i must save myself and redeem myself from my past actions yeah laura goes on quite a journey in your title the she tries to fight back and kimura kills someone so she goes to a place of keeping the peace finding a way to keep people alive yes i'm sorry kimura i won't do it again kimura until she can rise up and fight back uh, this has been a brilliant conversation, and I'm really pleased to know you and to see the great work you're doing with this character. We also, in our last episode, got to talk about Hollow's Eve a lot, too. I'm really excited to see how that one concludes. But I can't wait for the end of Deadly Regenesis, and I'm really excited to see what comes next for you. Uh, we're going to put this out on July 26th, if I'm getting... Oh, no, July 19th. 19th. Uh, if you have uh, uh, anything you would like to plug, I'd love to hear it. And where can people find you online if they would like to? Okay, so in August, uh, we have um, ASM. By the way, it is July 26th. I got my dates wrong. Oh, it is 26th. I'm putting it on okay. July 26th. Okay, so in August, uh, 
the ASM annual comes out and that will have uh, Hollow's Eve in it. So it that will almost be sort of like the end of the Hollow's Eve uh, uh, five issue arc. It's sort of going to a sixth issue. Uh, also, Moon Knight What If is going to be in uh, in stores in August as well. Uh, I don't know if it was announced. If it if it wasn't announced yet, the no, listed for September should drop tomorrow. If I'm calculating correctly. <laughs> okay. Well, so if if it's not announced, you can cut it out. We can but, yeah. uh, there would there will be a Hallow's Eve uh, Halloween special uh, coming out uh, in October. Trade, in October, the trade paperback for Hallow's Eve is out in October, and the, so is the trade paperback for Deadly Regenesis. And this definitely cut out because nobody's uh, said it, but there's going to be, I'm going to be doing a three issue Daredevil Electra story for a crossover starting in December. Wonderful. Yeah, we can take that part out, but that's exciting. Daredevil outside of X-Men, Daredevil's one of my all-time favorites at Marvel. Maybe, yeah, I think it's X-Men then Daredevil is like my love of uh, books primarily. Uh, Erica, I think you are just the best. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, a Gray Malkin Lane, you can find Gray Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore Lane on Instagram. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos, but Eric and I are friends and that's great. <laughs> uh, the uh, next episode coming out on the Patreon immediately after this, I mentioned we're going to revisit the X-Force assassination squad era. Is going to be all about the character Dev, uh, uh, Reverend Craig, the evil preacher father figure of Wolvesbade. And he meets a very grisly end in the assassination era, which we will talk, <laughs> talk about. My guest on that will be the wonderful novelist, Bethany Pope, who's a lovely friend of mine. Uh, and uh, the next episode on the main show out after this is going to be the joint trial of uh, Danger and Quasimodo. And it's fun. So be prepared for that because we, we are going to have a great time. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, especially to uh, Erica Schultz. And uh, we'll see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane.